about 80% of the patients in our trial are alive at, at three years when you would expect in, in certain stages, we included stage three patients, stage three patients it's only about 40% that you would expect to be alive at three years. So uh, we're pretty excited by that. This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and my guest is David Carbone. David is a lung cancer expert, and he is the director of the James Thoracic Oncology Center. He's been on the podcast before, and the last time, David talked about how there were a few new immunotherapy drugs in development. Today, we're going to talk about one of them, a drug that was part of a clinical trial here at the James that David led and has shown really great promise in treating before surgery, that's the key, before surgery, patients with non-small cell lung cancer. Um, David is also a cancer survivor, something we talked about on a previous podcast. And because of his treatment, he has, has some a little bit of scarring in his lungs and might cough from time to time. So I just wanted to warn people that's that's what's happening. And that's uh, all part of cancer treatment, things he's working to, to make even better. So welcome back to the podcast. Well, it's great to be here, Steve. Happy to do it. Thanks for being here again. You're getting to be a regular. <laughs> David, I thought we'd start with just a really quick briefing on the difference between non-small cell lung cancer and small cell lung cancer, and, and which one is, is more prevalent. So those are the two main categories of lung cancer, and uh, non-small cell lung cancer is the majority of cases. It's perhaps 80% of all lung cancer. And that's, it's a huge clinical problem in the United States. There's around 200,000 cases of it a year. Uh, and unfortunately, only about 20% uh, currently are surgically resectable. In other words, it can be removed by a surgeon completely and safely. And the rest are either locally advanced or metastatic. Okay, so that brings us up to this new drug, which is hard to pronounce. How do you say it? <laughs> Atezolizumab. Atezolizumab. So Meb. 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 I, I'm not M -A -B even going to try. At the end. I'm going to just call it that new drug. <clears throat> Atezo is what Atezo. we. Atezo. There we go. I can say <clears throat> that. Atezo. So, give us the background and and walk us through this clinical trial and and why I'm fascinated by this pre-surgical angle and what that how that's going to improve things. Right. Well. Even if you can surgically remove the entire tumor, about half of non-small cell lung cancers that are have are able to be operated on uh, do, still recur, and patients uh, die of their disease. So there's a real need to improve outcomes. And for many years, nothing has been available that Im improves that outcome. We've been using chemotherapy after surgery routinely, and that improves survival by only about 5%. But this new class of drugs, the immunotherapies, there are now many such drugs out there, have shown dramatic benefit in metastatic disease. And so we decided several years ago to test uh, their efficacy in surgically resectable disease. But also, as a laboratory scientist, I'm very interested in studying why some patients respond and others don't and how we might get more patients to respond. So I thought the ideal setting uh, to 
not only test clinical impact, but also to study the biology of the response to this class of drugs is to do it before surgery because you can get samples of the tumor before and after you've treated with the drug, samples of blood from before and after you've treated with the drug, and you can correlate molecular features with the response that you can observe at the time of surgery and also by uh, CT scans. So it started out as a proposal of mine uh, that was very limited in size, but then in conversation with the companies, um, they decided to make it a national trial that we led uh, involving about a dozen institutions across the country. The companies will be the pharmaceutical companies that made this drug. <clears throat> and that's Genentech Roche for this drug, correct. Okay, so again, what, what happens next? You, you have this idea to, to give it to patients before. What happens when you gave it to them? Well, so we first of all discovered that it was safe. Um, that's the paramount importance when you do anything, especially in patients who could be cured by surgery alone. We wanted to make sure it wasn't interfering with the surgery. But we also found that in 20% of patients that we treated, there was less than 10% viable tumor left at the time of surgery. And in about 7% of the patients, this was a 183-patient trial, uh, in about 7% of the uh, patients, there was no tumor left at the time of surgery after just two doses of this drug given before surgery. And that was a gratifying result. And we, are, we just recently reported the survival data on that study. And the survival, stage for stage, patients on that study at a three-year time point is almost double that of what would have been expected from historical controls. So that's very exciting that we not only have measurements of benefit by, by amount of tumor at the time of surgery, but we seem to be seeing a dramatic clinical benefit in terms of many more people alive than you might have expected. Wow, so let me go back to two things you just said. The first is you had the percentages you gave of people whose tumors shrunk almost completely and some even completely, was that even better than you had thought or hoped for going in? We always hope for 100% benefit, um, but it's certainly better than what you see with chemotherapy. And so that was exciting. And the second point is how long ago did the clinical trial start so we can get a sense of how long patients are out from their surgery? Now, we're just getting to a four, five-year follow-up kind of time frame. So the trial really was initiated about five years ago. Oh, okay. I didn't realize it was that old. That means so that three to five window where <clears throat> so many of these people might not be here, they're still here because of this clinical trial? Yeah, really about 80% of the patients in our trial are alive at three years when you would expect in, in certain stages, we included stage three patients. Stage three patients, it's only about 40% that you would expect to be alive at three years. So uh, we're pretty excited by that. That's pretty amazing. And when we talk about like 80%, these are actual people that many of whom you know. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, many of them were, were my patients. Yeah. And, and this was a complex effort because of the we really wanted to collect these biospecimens, so we did this at academic institutions around the country and uh, were able to get some very interesting um, molecular studies on these patients. And we have five or six papers that are in preparation in addition to the two that have already been published on this, on this work. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, David will tell us a little bit about some of these papers and what this all means and how this drug works and, and maybe what's next in some new clinical trials. I'm happy to do it. In today's world, misinformation abounds, but at the Ohio State Health and Discovery website, we're addressing today's most relevant health, wellness, science, and research topics, all from the Ohio State experts you can trust. We're tapping into physicians, scientists, and thought leaders across our medical center and health sciences colleges to give you the deeper story behind the headlines and the truth about the topics affecting the health of individuals, society, and the world. Visit health.osu.edu today. We're back with David Carbone, director of the James Thoracic Oncology Center, and we're talking about a new drug, Atezo, that's showing great promise in patients with non-small cell lung cancer who are being treated with it before their surgery. So, David, how does this drug work when it's in the body? What does it do to help the immune system shrink these lung cancer tumors? So, Atezo is one of a class of about a dozen drugs that are now in study or on the market that block a, a pathway called the PD-1, PDL one pathway. And this was discovered, and actually this pathway was the uh, basis of a Nobel Prize that was recently uh, given out. But what was discovered is that cancers overexpress this protein called PDL one which binds to the other protein, PD-1, and when cancers overexpress this protein, they um, turn off any immune cells that are coming in to attack the cancer. So the immune cell that would otherwise come in and kill the cancer sees this protein on the tumor cell, and it gets turned off, and it just wanders off and doesn't do anything. So these drugs block that PD-1, PD-L1 interaction. And suddenly the cancers say, hey, there's a can the, the immune cells say, hey, there's a cancer here. Uh, we can kill it. And it, a lot of things that sound good in theory don't work in practice. But this actually works in practice. And, and we have many patients that are alive today that wouldn't be without this class of drugs. So this Atezo <clears throat> goes through the body... Is it through an IV? Or? It's an intravenous it's, antibody. It's not a chemical that blocks the receptor ligand interaction. So it finds these cells. How, do, how does it know how to find these well, cells in just, the lungs? It just percolates around your body. and Oh, it goes any, everywhere. Any, it goes everywhere in your bloodstream. And wherever it sees one of these PD-L1s, it binds to it. And that keeps oh. it from from inhibiting the T cells. And so the cancer is no longer hiding, it's visible, the immune system says, let's go. It's like turning off the 
force field on the Starship Enterprise. Oh, the force field analogy. <laughs> you, you do that before. I, I remember that. Okay, so you've given a patient a TESO. Their, their lung cancer tumor has shrunk or been eliminated. You still do a little surgery. What happens after surgery? Is there, in the past, people still got chemotherapy or, I'm not sure, maybe even immunotherapy. What happens now? Well, no, the immunotherapy after surgery is very new. It's just very okay. recently in the last few months been approved by the FDA. But historically, since I began my training 30 years ago, people would use chemotherapy in patients at high risk of relapse. And that really only resulted in about a 5% improvement in five-year survival, <clears throat> which is not... Uh, acceptable uh, and why we're trying to do these kinds of studies. So what does this mean? Put this in the big picture perspective. If you, you're, it's a clinical trial, so there's, there's still work to be done and lessons to be learned, but if it keeps advancing and doing what you, what it's been doing and you hope it's going to be doing, what does that mean for non-small cell lung cancer patients down the road and outcomes for them? Well, I, I think with the recent approvals and the new um, trials that are going to be reporting out in the next couple of years, in addition to ours, I think immunotherapy will become a standard part of care for most surgically resectable lung cancers. But this concept of getting it before surgery, um, someone else talked about that, that that might be happening soon in breast cancer as well. Is oh, yeah. That, that so actually this... has been going on for a long time in breast cancer. This is a new immunotherapy before surgery is a very new concept in, in lung cancer. But but overall, with all cancers, it sounds like that's a trend that's growing, and but you're still in the early stages trying to figure out which cancers, which immunotherapy drugs, and, and things like that. Yes. So immunotherapy has found a home in many types of cancer uh, therapies right now. It's probably most active in melanoma and lung well, cancer, yeah. uh, but other types of cancer, it's shown some activity as well. But in all of those situations, it doesn't work in everybody. And yet, we give it to pretty much everybody. Uh, so, as I said before, the one of the important features of this trial was the science behind the trial. And, and I'd like to tell you about at least one of the pieces of science that we found in this study that's really exciting, too. Yeah, definitely, because I think what you're, I, I you're going to tell us is why it works in some people and why it doesn't, right? Well, so <clears throat> the best clinically useful piece of information would be is if you could tell before you gave the drug to a patient yeah. whether it would work for them or not or whether it would just have the toxicity and not work. So we looked very hard, and we are continuing to look at the data from this trial, but in our original publications, which came out a month or so, a few weeks ago in Nature Medicine, the, we found that from pre-treatment blood sample, take a blood sample before the patient gets any treatment. Blood sample, not a tumor sample. Blood so sample. Easier. We were able to assign to that patient a probability of response to atezolizumab and that because the study was pretty large, we were able to, to develop that 
signature in, in part of the patients and then test it in the rest of the patients and it held up in the rest of the patients. So it, to me, it's very exciting that we, we may be able to have a, a blood test that predicts whether these patients will respond to immunotherapy. Now, we don't know if it's specific for atezolizumab, uh, so I would, we're in the process of planning for further studies to test it in other settings. We don't know if it applies in metastatic patients treated with immunotherapy. But the other exciting thing about it is that it identifies certain cell types that are associated with lack of response, and they have certain markers, which very excitingly, those markers have independently been discovered as potential therapeutics for lung cancer. So we found several markers on these cells for which drug companies have already developed drugs and would suggest that maybe we can identify a class of patients not likely to respond to a TESO, but possibly more likely to respond if you add new drug plus a TESO. And so it's not just telling people they'll do right. badly, it's giving them something to hope for to make it, them do well. And as more drug immunotherapy drugs are developed, there'll be more <clears throat> options for people that a TZO doesn't work for, this immuno doesn't work for. You'll have eight or nine or 10 or 20 options, and you'll find the right one. Well, and I'm, I'm hoping this is a generalizable uh, observation because all these drugs block the same pathway. And so a TZO is just one of, like I said, a dozen drugs targeting this pathway. The PD, PD one and PDL one inhibitors, and I'm I'm hopeful, but it needs to be tested that our findings will will apply to all of those drugs, that whole class of drugs, and suggest novel combinations based on science uh, rather yeah. than just. Guesswork. <laughs> Guesswork, which is what we're regressing to now. And when you say you take the blood and look at it, you're looking at the genetic... You're doing Actually, genetic it's cell surface markers. It's oh. by a technology called flow cytometry. So that result was, was a flow cytometry uh, assay. But we did all the genetic markers. We have fascinating results from genetics and the transcriptomics and, and uh, T-cell receptor analyses that I really I can't go into. It's just too much, too much data, and we're preparing the papers now. But it's this concept of personalized cancer care for each patient as, you're, as each month and year go on and each new drug and, and clinical trial, you're, it, you're finding what works and why and, or what doesn't work and why for each patient and being able to dial down and give them the exact right. right medicine. Well, that's what transformed lung cancer care 15, 20 years ago with the targeted therapies, matching a specific therapy to a specific genetic target. And that's made a tremendous difference in those patients. But with immunotherapy, we tend to use the same treatment for everyone. Everyone who doesn't have a genetic target gets immunotherapy. And they get the same immunotherapy. And, and I think that that's, uh, from a scientific perspective, very unsatisfying that there are many, the immune system is so complicated, there are many ways that cancer can avoid the immune system. We need to really study cancers and patients that respond and who don't respond and 
figure out why Jane Doe responded and John Smith didn't, and, and tailor the immunotherapy to their, their particular molecular features. And this, our trial is a step in that direction. Wow, because you said you found the old method unsatisfactory, so you decided to create a new method. <laughs> We're working on it. <laughs> there you go. What's it like? Because you've been in this, uh, doing this long enough that you, 20, 30 years ago, you had patients you couldn't do anything for. And now, yeah. what's it like? Well, the dinosaurs don't get in our way <laughs> today like they did when I started. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, you, you started practice on Jurassic Island. Yeah, Jurassic Park. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's true. In, in when I started over thirty years ago in lung cancer, most patients didn't get treatment at all. They just got pain control and um, pats on the back. Um, and their median survival of all stages of lung cancer put together was about six months. Wow. And and now we're seeing subsets of patients and. Well, like I said, in our study, eighty yeah, percent alive at, at four years. But the people coming into the study don't know all this. They don't know about this new drug. They don't know what you're doing. So their mindset coming in might be not that positive. And it's like, all right, this is like a a, a hail mary pass. And you're able to tell them, no, we actually have a really legitimate shot of of giving you some quality of life for a long time. Most of our patients are, are metastatic at diagnosis, about you know, more than half. And I used to tell them right on our first visit, after I explained things as best as I could, that their cancer is uncurable, incurable. Um, but that doesn't mean it's untreatable and that we can make their life longer and better. But now I'm telling people that there's a small chance that they could be cured even. And I, I just had a patient in my clinic the other day who started in, in 2014 and finished two years of immunotherapy and has been many years off of immunotherapy, still has no sign of uh, recurrence after being diagnosed with metastatic disease. And so this doesn't happen in everyone, but we can give hope to our patients that if they look and Google online, they may may think things are hopeless. But we really do have new hope for our cancer patients because of these types of therapies. Yeah, and and a, down the road, there's going to be even more hope as you keep working on these new clinical trials. The, we're keeping at it. All right. Well, well, thanks for sharing all this great information and good and news. And come on back when you have some more good news. <laughs> Happy to do it. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.